I love that last line there in that psalm. How it takes what we are experiencing in the present and it gives us that hope for the age to come. Those who now sow in tears will reap at harvest time and shout for joy that that one who sows with tears bringing his bag of seed will come with shouts of joy bringing his sheaves. This age that we live in is an age of tears. But there will come a day when this age will pass away, this age of tears, and there will be no more. And we will come with shouts of joy into the presence of the Lord. And that's going to be what we speak of here in our text this morning. So please turn in your copies of God's Word to Revelation chapter 22. And we'll be considering verses 12 through 17. And as you're turning there, please keep in mind the purpose for which this entire book was written. It's not a book of mystery or one that only a select few people who have been enlightened are able to truly understand. No, it is the revelation of of Jesus Christ. It is Christ Jesus revealed. It is the unfolding of the person and the work of Christ put on display. And so here in this 22nd chapter, we come to the culmination of that revelation. We come to the end for which all of the work of Christ has been working towards. Friends, we have to remember that this book was written for your instruction and your edification. So please lend your ear to the reading of God's infallible Word from Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life. I may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David and the bright and morning star. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Thus far the reading of God's word, let's ask his blessing upon it. Heavenly Father, we do come to you. And we do come to you freely. Because you have given us the way to enter into your presence, to come to you freely, and that is through the work of Christ Jesus, our Lord, and the Holy Spirit, which worketh 
regeneration in our hearts. And so, Lord, now as we come into Your presence and as we have heard this Word, Lord, Your Word has gone forth. And we trust in the promise that as the Word of God goes forth, that it will never return void. We cling to the promise that the grass withereth and the flower thereof fadeth away, but the Word of God will stand forever. And so, Lord, we ask that You would bless the reading of this Word here today. Make it effectual to bring about the sanctification and the conversion of souls. And Lord, as we have sat under the reading of it and we have heard with our own ears, Lord, we ask that You would give us ears to hear it rightly. That it would be received with gladness and with joy. That we would seek to know what it is You have for us. That we would seek to hear it with understanding in the heart. And that we would seek to hear this Word as what it truly is, which is the very Word of God. And Lord, now as we approach the proclamation and preaching of this Word, we trust that the very words that are preached unto this day will not be the words of man, they will not be given in the eloquent speech or the philosophy or wisdom of man, but will be given through the power of the Holy Spirit which works in Your servant. Lord, we confess that the servant is not worthy to be here preaching this Word. We, we confess, Lord, that the preacher in and of himself is weak. But Lord, Your Spirit is strong and mighty and is powerful to overcome even the weakness of this frail man. And so, Lord, we ask that You would overcome the sinfulness and weakness of the preacher so that the Word of God may, be going, may go forth in the power of the Spirit today. Bless the preaching of this Word. Bless the preaching given by the preacher where his lisping, stammering tongue may fail. Lord, let Your Spirit intercede and correct as needed. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in Thy sight, my strength and my Redeemer. And we ask these things in the name of Christ Jesus, our only King and Head. Amen. I think that we as believers in this modern age, we have a problem. So much of what we talk about has to do with the present state that we are in. Over the last two years, a lot of Christians have been focusing the majority of their attention on uh, how to live as a believer in the midst of the pandemic. So much of the focus has been on the reactionary living in the moment. I've seen so many people focusing on 
how to increase present numbers within their local congregations. Their eyes are set on what can be done now in order to bring about an increase. And it's not just the activity of the church that's very present oriented, but the theology and the teaching of the church is as well. So often we hear teaching and preaching on living the Christian life in the place in which the Lord has put you in this moment. There's teaching and preaching concerning how to address the current cultural attacks and the needs of the church today. And so often we talk about who we are in Christ and we talk about our justification, about who we are now as new creatures in Him. And all these things are right and they're good and we have to teach about them. We have to talk about them. We have to focus on them because we are a people who live at a specific time and in a specific place and we have specific needs that need to be addressed. However, this does tend to neglect the reality of the future. We become so present-oriented that we lose sight of what's to come. And this makes sense considering the culture that we live in. It's not just believers who have this now-oriented mentality. Everything around us tells us to focus on the moment. To live your best life now. To seize the day. We're in a culture that strives after instant gratification. Planning for and looking forward to the future has become a thing of the past. And it's sad that this mentality has begun to creep into the church in subtle ways. But we are a people whose theology rests on a future event. I was a little nervous when picking this text because when we, when we see people talking about the future and, and looking to the book of Revelation, we tend to think of that hellfire preacher standing on the street corner with a hamburger sign and a chart that's explaining why the end is near. But we shouldn't be afraid to take up this book and to see how Christ is revealed in it. As I said earlier, this book is given to us for our instruction and our edification. So at the risk of sounding too apocalyptic, I believe we need to begin to reorient our focus towards this essential future event. We can't be solely present-oriented. We have to look up and look forward to the, to the future reality which is to come. Yes, King Jesus came into this world to purchase salvation. Yes, King Jesus is ruling and reigning as mediator over all things with all things placed under His feet. 
Yes, the kingdom is advancing to all peoples as the gospel goes forth and covers the earth. But our faith hinges on a final act the closing of this age and the start of the new eternal age to come. And because of that, because we must fix our eyes on the reward that is before us, let us now turn our attention to consider the return of the King in all His glory. So I want us first to consider the surety of the King's return. The surety of of the king's return and we see this in verses 12 and 13 and behold i come quickly and my reward is with me to give every man according as his work shall be i am alpha and omega the beginning and the end the first and the last now i want us to look at these two verses in a reversed order uh, first looking to the statement, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. This is a statement that I'm, I'm sure most, if not all of us here, are, are familiar with. But oftentimes when we come across statements and verses that we're familiar with, we sim- tend to simply just gloss over those familiar passages and, and, and neglect to see the depth of what they are actually talking about. I know that I've read this statement numerous times and never even attempted to grasp the depth of what Christ is saying here. This isn't simply a statement in regards to His coming. It's a statement in regards to His being as the second person of the Godhead. These words hold out Christ's eternity not only as being before and after all things, but as giving all things being and ordering all things to their end and to His own glory as the end of it all. He truly is the beginning of the creation of God, as Revelation 3.14 tells us. It is in Him that we move and have our being. By Him and through Him and to Him are all things. All things in heaven and on earth. All things invisible and visible. He is the Creator and Sustainer of all things. This is not simply a statement that Christ was there at the beginning and that He will be there at the end. No, it's a statement that He is the very beginning and end in Himself because He is the Sovereign over all things. He is the Lord of glory. As the Lord of all creation, He possesses all things. But as the God-man, in His mediatorial role, He has now inherited all things. You are His, and He is yours. And nothing can ever take that away. From first to last, beginning to end, you 
are in him. So take refuge in that fact, dear brothers and sisters. And because the beginning and the end of all things is rooted in the nature of Christ Himself, there is a surety to His return. There can be no doubt as to whether or not the end will come because it is intimately tied to who Christ is. And as if to drive this fact of the surety of His return home, He explicitly states He is coming quickly, not just here in verse 12, but two other times in verse 7 and again in verse 20. It's as if Christ is wanting to ensure that we do not lose sight of the hope of His return. And this is because His return will be what reverses the effects of the fall. It's, what, it's at His return, at the end of all things, that all things are then put under subjection, under His feet. When the world passes away and the new comes, that is what we have to look forward to at His return. That is why it's so important for it to be at the forefront of our minds. This is the consummation of the eternal state of blessedness that we will have in Christ Jesus. Everything that we pray for, everything that we long for, everything that we hope for will be fulfilled in His return. This will be the fulfillment of our prayer, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But even more remarkably, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming quickly. It's not just the surety of His coming, but He is coming quickly. He's not just coming to do these things. He's coming quickly to do them. There's an urgency. Now, it may not seem like that to most people. It may not seem as though the return of Christ can be described as quick, especially with so much in this world bringing about pain and suffering. I want you to think about what it's like when you've been sick, children. I know you've likely been sick before and it's miserable. You don't feel well and you can't sleep and the night seems to just go on forever. It's like it's never going to end. You lie awake in your bed and you just look at the clock moving, hoping that the end will come. Waiting for Christ Jesus' return seems like that to a lot of us. It seems like that to a lot of Christians, especially those who are experiencing the depravity and the evil in this world in far greater degrees than even we are. To you, it may feel like the end will never come. That this world will continue to beat and batter, and cry, beat and batter Christ's lambs. But that's not the case. Jesus says, I'm on my way. I'm on my way and I am coming quickly. Brothers and sisters, we don't have to face the challenges and sufferings of this world 
as those who are without hope. We have a hope. And it's a hope that's far greater than anything that this world could offer. We know that the King is coming. And when He does, He will strike down His enemies in the day of His wrath. Those who have sought the destruction of Christ's church, those who have sought to slaughter Christ's lambs, they will reap what they have sown. And then this earth will pass away along with the things therein, and all things will be made new. And we will dwell in the midst of the city of God for all eternity. Friends, this is our hope. And we have a surety that it will come to pass. And it will come to pass quickly. But that doesn't mean that we take on the mantle of a, of a doom and gloom street preacher. Just because the return of the king is sure and is to be done quickly doesn't mean that it will happen immediately. Could Christ return now? Possibly. But though Christ is on His way, His coming also involves a great deal of preparation. He says in Matthew 24, 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for the witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. All of Christ's elect church from every nation, everyone whom the Father has given to the Son to save, and everyone for whom Christ Jesus died on Calvary's cross must be gathered in before He can return. And that can't be done overnight. And so while He is coming quickly, there is in the meantime a duty for us as believers. As we wait for the coming of the King, we have a responsibility. And that is to go and share the Gospel. And we must go in power because we have confidence that the Gospel will go forth. It will be successful and we have confidence in the surety of the King's return. And the surety of the King's return is of the utmost importance because without it, we have no hope for what's to come. Without it, we cannot be sure that anything will take place at the end of this age. In short, without it, we have no faith. But it is sure. And because of that, we can now turn to consider the sifting of the king's return. So we've looked at the surety of the king's return. Now let's, let us turn to consider the sifting of the king's return. And we spoke of this briefly in our exposition, our explanation of Psalm 37. But we see it in clear detail in verses 14 and 15. Blessed are they who do His commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever loveth and maketh 
a lie. In verse 12, we read that when the king returns, he is bringing his reward with him to give every man according as his work shall be. This is that reward. There will be a separation of the sheep from the goats, of the wheat from the chaff, and to each one he will give them their due reward. And so first in this sifting, we see the reward for those who are in Christ. Those who have been called according to His purpose. Those who have been obedient to His commands. And it's interesting that our text has obedience to the Lord's commands as the defining characteristic of these people. While it is true that these are those who are in Christ, those who have been called according to His purpose, who are given the right to eat of the tree of life, it is those who do His commands, those who are holy and sanctified, that are described here. Who you are in Christ, being called according to His purpose, yes, that is essential But what is being highlighted in our text is obedience to the will of the Lord. James Durham here writes, We may well say that though holiness be not the cause of our entry, yet it is our pass by which it is known who are to be admitted to have right to enter and who not. Holiness is our ticket. This is what is meant in Hebrews by holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Yes, it is our justification that brings us into right standing with the Father. And we know that all who are justified are sanctified. Those who have been saved from their trespasses and sins have been saved unto good works. And so this gospel-rooted obedience serves as our ticket, as our proof of having the right to enter into the city of God and to feast upon the tree of life. And that is our reward, brothers and sisters. And the tree of life is representative of Christ Himself who is the giver of life. Because we are in Him, because we have been justified and sanctified, because we are adopted heirs of the promise, we now have inherited the right to partake of the fruit of Christ, which is life eternal. And not only that, but we are given residence within the gates of the city, the new Jerusalem. We have become residents of the city of God, the dwelling place of the Most High God. This is the culmination and fulfillment of God dwelling in the midst of His people. This is the culmination of Christ being Emmanuel, God with us. For all eternity, we will live with our Father ruling over 
creation with our elder brother and being in the unending presence of the holiness of God. What a glorious reward that awaits us who do His commandments. But there are those who do not do His commandments. There are those who are not in Him, who have not been called according to His purpose, but instead have been formed by the potter as vessels of wrath. And they have their reward as well. And we see that in verse 15. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whoever loveth and maketh a lie. Their reward is to be cast away. To be outside of the gate. To be barred from entering into the city of God. To be refused to be in the presence of of God. And these are the dogs, those who are wicked and despise the law of the Lord. These are the sorcerers, those who have made the powers of this world their God, who have turned to demons for power instead of resting in the sovereignty of the Lord. These are whoremongers, those who desire nothing but to satisfy the lusts of the flesh and of the mind. These are murderers, those whose hatred has been kindled toward others and who have slain others in malice either physically or within their hearts. These are idolaters, those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness and, and worship the creature rather than the Creator. These are those who loveth and maketh a lie, those who are deceivers who would lead even the elect astray if it were possible. Do you hear the all-encompassing nature of those who are left without the gate? Anyone who is not in Christ will receive their just reward and it will be the exclusion from the life-giving fruit of Christ in the presence of the Lord in the New Jerusalem their reward will be just that of their father, the devil, to be cast into the lake of fire where there is no hope of respite. And David says in Psalm 37 and verse 20, the wicked shall perish and the enemies of the Lord shall be as fat of lambs they shall consume. Into smoke they shall consume away. Friends, you will receive your reward. Either to be welcomed into the gates or to be kept outside. And I pray that you see the danger of being outside of Christ and what awaits you if you are to die in your sins. And I urge you to flee the wrath that is to come for there will be no more time for mercy at the sifting of the King's return. So this leads us now to consider our final heading, which is the summons of the king's return. We have the surety of the king's return, the sifting of the king's return, and now the summons of the king's return. And this is found in verses 16 and 17 of our passage. I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. 
I am the root and the offspring of David, and the bright and morning star, and the spirit and the bride said, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Christ Jesus gives us the reaffirmation of his person and work. He is the root and offspring of David. He is the chosen one of Israel. He's the Messiah that was promised of old who has come to bring salvation to God's people and to rule and reign on the throne of David forever as the mediatorial king over all things. And not just that, but he is the bright and morning star, the fountain of all light and the one who provides life and vitality to all who are touched by his radiance. And so here we have a testimony to Christ in his person as the God-man and Savior of the world and also a testimony to the word that was given and conveyed in this book. In Christ, all the promises of God are yes and amen. And so we have Christ Jesus himself bearing testimony of these things which are to take place. And here we also see a twofold summons. Following the testimony of the Lord of all creation, there is a response. And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. This first summons is to Christ, imploring him to make his return, which was just spoken of. Here we see the Spirit of the Lord calling forth to the Son to bring things unto consummation. It's even the longing of the Spirit Himself to see this return. And so likewise, we, the church, the bride of Christ, join in with the Spirit in that call and expectation. This must be our heart cry to see the fulfillment of all things in the coming of the Lord. This is everything that we have hoped for. And so it's our duty now as ambassadors for the King to call forth imploring Him to come all the while preparing the way for His return. And the third party that's involved in this first summons is those who hear the cry of the Spirit and the Bride and then join in. The preparation for the return of the King has an evangelistic effect which can bring even the casual observer in to join in the chorus of the saints and pleading Him to come. And Christ hears the cry of the Spirit and His Bride and those who have joined in. And so the second summons is issued not to Christ, but to the world. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely.
this summons is given to all indiscriminately. And it's a true offer of the gospel to all who hear. Friends, this is our apostolic example of the free offer of the gospel. That we offer the gospel freely and openly to all who we encounter. The summons here is not to the church to come and drink of the water of life, for they have already tasted of the Lord and seen that He is good. The summons is not simply given to the elect to lay hold of their election and to quench their thirst. No, the summons is given to all who thirst. All who need the water of life. And whosoever will, to him is given the right to drink of the wellspring of life. This ought to call to mind the conversation of our Lord with the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. In verses 10 through 14, we read Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knowest the gift of God and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence hast thou that living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Friends, this is the summons to come to Christ. To embrace the gospel of free grace and to drink of the fountain of life and never thirst again. Charles Spurgeon says about these verses, it is placed at the very end of the Bible and placed there because it is the sum and substance, the aim and object of the whole Bible. It is like the point of the arrow and all the rest of the Bible is like the shaft and the feathers on either side of it. And Spurgeon is right. This is the sum and substance of the Bible. The entire message of the Bible is come unto Christ. And so if you're here today and you have never drunk of the springs of the water of life, if you have never come to embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you are in danger of being of those whose reward is to dwell outside of the gate, and whose end is ruin in the lake of fire, then hear the summons of the gospel and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. The Savior stands ready to welcome home a sinner who comes unto repentance. Do not let this day pass without being reconciled unto the Lord because today is the day of salvation and you're not promised another. Come and drink and never thirst again.
Brothers and sisters, this is our hope. The return of the King is our great expectation which we ought to be longing for with every fiber of our being. I pray that we don't get so caught up in the immediate, so caught up in the here and now, that we lose sight of the greater thing which waits us in glory. It's interesting that as Malachi in his last chapter closes the canon of the Old Testament with the promise of Christ's first coming, and he puts the people of God to the law of Moses and the prophets until the Messiah comes, so Christ here closes the canon of the New Testament with the promise and call of His second coming, to which He knits the longing desires of His church together. Is this your longing and desire to see Christ come in glory and to see this age pass away in the new come? So as you're crying for Jesus to come with one hand, hold out the other hand to sinners saying, Come, everyone who is thirsty. Come while there is still time and while it is still the day of grace while it's still the day of salvation. Come to the welcoming Savior. Come now. Come and welcome the return of the King. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do long for and anticipate the return of Christ Jesus in glory, our King, when He will trample underfoot His enemies, where He will lay, strown the bodies of His enemies across this land, and it will be burnt up and destroyed, and the new will come. The old will pass away, and the new will come, and we will dwell in the midst of the city of God in the presence of our Father, forever. Lord, that's what we hope for. That Thy kingdom would come and Thy will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we know that that is fulfilled in the coming of the King. And so, Lord, we ask that we would never lose sight of this. That we would not neglect the present reality of where we are but that it would not cause us to forget what lies ahead for us, what awaits us in glory. Let this ever be at the forefront of our minds, and let it be what drives us to see the Gospel advance in this place. For Christ's sake, in His name. Amen.